can be our bit. That can be our bit. How many times we just, can we screw up our tagline? Yeah. And then we'll talk for 10 minutes about how we screwed it up. Yep. All right. Hello and welcome to Good Film Hunting, where we bring you film analysis for a modern audience. I'm Connor Reed. Mm. I'm Riley Hardy. Yeah. Good job, Connor. You nailed it. Hey! Nailed yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, today we are finishing up our animation series, which is kind of a bummer, but, you know, we're looking forward to getting on to other things as well. Uh, but today we are talking about DreamWorks, The Prince of Egypt. Yeah. Which oh, yes. I'm pumped to, to talk about. I don't know how you're feeling about this, but I'm so pumped. Oh, I'm so pumped. Yeah. I'm so pumped. Mm. Um, I, used to, I had the VHS, mm. and I played it played it often. <laughs> Me so, too. Uh, yeah. This was actually um, DreamWorks' first traditionally animated movie. Right. Right behind, right behind Ants. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, we're tackling is... uh, DreamWorks today. Mm-hmm. So it should it's, be a good one. It always seemed weird to me, too, that at the start of 3D animated films that two movies about ants were made. Because Pixar made Bugs Life, and then Ant, or DreamWorks mm-hmm. made Ants. It's like, hmm, yep. <laughs> what was the draw yeah, for that? It, it's funny because it really established the trend for the studio. Or like, right. It's like we had two movies about ants, and both of these movies really showcased like the studio's style mm-hmm. like you know dreamworks you know they broke off of disney it was uh you know jeffrey katzenberg steven spielberg mm-hmm. and uh who's the other guy <laughs> skg skg remember right. dreamworks skg right, right. spielberg katzenberg Katzen- and something Kong- with a g <laughs> yeah but yeah man ants was like edgy yeah like an adult oh cartoon, man you know you get to see woody allen in bug form yeah. so that's that's something <laughs> that movie kind of was that movie really was like scary when i when i watched it oh my it was, gosh yeah it, it had it's such a weird maybe not scary is not the right word but it had a weird tone it know? did i actually no that movie like scarred me as a kid because there's like the whole scene whenever all the ants are fighting oh, up against scene. the the termites or something like that and he like oh, picks up the yeah. the other guy's head that he was talking to oh yeah you oh it. yeah that scarred me so much as a kid. Like that freaked me out. Yeah, I just I just remember them, you know, going into battle and just really thinking, mm-hmm. like, wow, those ants, they're all gonna die. I know. And like just because they're getting and they're all getting murdered by these bugs. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that was I just guess I watched that movie at a time and I was just realizing the weight of war. Mm hmm. <laughs> Death and <laughs> so it's kind of trivial to talk about ants when we're talking about war. <laughs> Um, yeah yeah I just, that definitely stuck with me oh man yeah and what really freaked me out is because i can't remember if i talked about this on the wally episode if i did i'll edit this part out but whenever i was a kid i didn't understand 3d animation like i i could watch 2d animated films and realize okay someone drew that on there but i couldn't really understand and like grasp the concept of 3d animation like that they had computers yeah. that could make these things that you know could move around in like this free space like that and yeah. so I was like trying to figure it out. I think Monsters Inc. had just come out. And I remember getting this costume for Sully um, for Halloween and like walking around in it. I'm like, maybe this is what is like what it's like. Like this is what they do for that. So I, I, I specifically remember going up to my dad and saying, so how do they make movies like that? Is it just a bunch of people like in costumes and they like in record costumes. them like that? And my dad was like, basically. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
<laughs> and so it just had like this didn't want to... hugely like skewed view of like what 3D animation oh, was. And so like seeing that scene in Ants like scared me so much. I'm like, did they chop off someone's head for that? Like, what is going oh, on? Like, so your dad just didn't want to go through the process of explaining it, or was, yeah, maybe he was maybe just, just joking with you. Maybe so, or. That. Maybe just didn't just know because like, it was pretty early on in the time. Like it had only been around for like a couple years. But he knew that it was computers that were doing it. Yeah. <laughs> he could have said that. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Is it people in costumes? <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Essentially. Essentially. I mean, yeah. It's just people. Essentially. But it is crazy how different it is because, you know, it's all, it's almost, it's puppetry really mm-hmm. because they're just com- like models inside of software and they just. Uh, puppeteer them you know right control elbows and facial expressions so it is very different right yeah yeah very very like i don't know even just thinking about like the leaps that we had in animation from 2d to 3d that it was such like an extreme thing where it's like it was just kind of like this flat plane that we had at first and then all of a sudden it just Mm -hmm shifted into this whole world that you can create it it was interesting to me that there's just like no middle ground in between and maybe there is to like a minor extent but nothing where it's like okay this is 5d yeah 2.5d that's it 2.5d right 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 that's it (laughs) but just something where there was some sort of medium in between you know it just kind of the leaps and bounds where it's like okay we went from drawing to immediately or not immediately but uh to putting it all through a computer it's just crazy mm-hmm. to me yeah and it's drastic and it's funny i mean you know the movie we're talking about prince of egypt is like there's a lot of combinations of computer effects right and actually drawn effects there's just a lot it's a big mishmash of different kinds of animation but they do it all really well and so it's uh i don't know if it's the first movie it's not the first movie to merge all those but i think it's no. one that it has a big mixture of of all those and almost every scene there's tons of effects in that movie yeah yeah that's something i didn't even realize up until like this viewing and probably the last time i saw it was like maybe like five years ago or so but i watched this movie all the time as a kid and like you know even in high school i watched it quite a bit but yeah so well let's let's dig into it and i'll kind of give a a brief plot summary for those of you who haven't watched it in a while or you know if you've never seen it before i'll I'll just kind of sum it up this is uh, the biblical story of Moses and um, him leading the Hebrews out of Egypt. So the film starts off with this really powerful intro sequence of just kind of showing, you know, the Hebrews in the midst of their slavery and just, you know, what they're put through every day and Pharaoh giving the order to kill all of the male um, Hebrew children. And so you see Yocheved and um Miriam and Aaron and um Yocheved is carrying baby Moses she leads him down to the stream and prays over him and he is carried down the stream to uh what is the queen's name I do they do they give her a name well all no they don't uh I mean at least in the book of Exodus it's just Pharaoh's daughter yeah it's Pharaoh's daughter so there's kind of that change yeah yeah, because it's. I think in the movie they do portray her as uh, his wife. But mm-hmm. I don't know if they give her a name. I don't. Yeah, I, I'm not but sure. Maybe it just said queen in the credits. But anyway, so yeah. she she finds him and she's walking along with little Ramesses and 
brings him to the pharaoh and then cut okay so to, is it ramesses in this ramesses? in this they call it ramesses like there's an e between the m and the s so sometimes okay. they in some versions they just say ramesses but this one it's right. ramesses so but they do spell it differently they do spell it I differently think, right yeah okay so yeah, which one is correct? I am not 100% positive. I maybe should have done some more research into that, but oh well. I don't know. I don't know Hebrew. Do you? I, I do not. Whatever I do know is very limited. So, yeah. But she calls him Moses, which is close to the Hebrew word for draw out, I believe, because um, she pulled him out of the Nile. Cut to however many years later, and you see Ramesses and Moses chariot racing. So they go around, they're having fun, being brothers, you know, knocking off the nose of statues and all that sort of stuff, torturing the priests, you know, as you do when you're a prince of Egypt. And they get scolded by Pharaoh Seti, played by, or voiced by the great Patrick Stewart. His voice is so good for this. It's... mm. Oh, yeah. Good kingly and voice. I just found that out today. Yeah. That was Patrick Stewart. Crazy, huh? <laughs> so, yeah. That yeah, that's crazy. They're scolded by him. He kind of calls uh, Ramesses the weak link, and that sticks with him, as you'll see later on, and so on. Um, Pharaoh appoints Ramesses as the successor. Then Ramesses appoints Moses as the lead architect. He is given by the priests... Um, the daughter of the Midianite. Um, uh, what, what is this title? The Midianite. Uh, just the Midian. Priest, Midi- the, the Midian priest, priest uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Zipporah, priest, right? And so he kind of she escapes. He lets her go, and then he discovers that he is a Hebrew, and that um, the man he calls father had commanded the death of all of the other male. Hebrews Mm -hmm. so discovering that he kind of gains more empathy for the Hebrew slaves and he sees a man being beaten and uh, by an Egyptian guard and then kills the Egyptian guard and runs away and goes to the land of Midian and Midian Midia Mm, I'm not sure I I, Midian Midian. yeah okay yep Runs into Zipporah again, and her sisters rescues her, meets Jethro, her father, and then they fall in love. They get married, and he becomes a shepherd, and one day he is chasing a lost sheep and finds the burning bush of God, where the voice of God tells him to go back to Moses, or to to go back to Egypt, (laughs) tells Moses to go back to Egypt and to free the Hebrews. And so he heads back there and is kind of met with, well, Ramses is Pharaoh now. And so he tries to convince him, but God tells him that, you know, he will harden Ramses's heart. And so he will have to perform miracles in front of him. So he's kind of, most of the remainder of the film is kind of this battle between Moses and uh, Hotep and Hoy, the the two Egyptian priests and, you know, aren't they described as magicians? Magicians. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. but so he will perform a miracle and then Hotep and Hoy will kind of do like a cheap imitation of it. And then, uh, Ramesses will harden his heart and will not let these people go up until the final plague where they kill the firstborn and 
Ramesses' son dies, and so they he lets the Hebrews go. So Moses starts to lead them out. But then whenever they get to the Red Sea and are kind of stopped there, they turn around and see Ramesses is pursuing them with his entire army and charges down. And then the huge pillar of flame comes in and makes a barrier in between. Moses goes out into the Red Sea, plants a staff in it, and the Red Sea is split in two. And so the Hebrews walk through safely and then the pillar of fire breaks. And so the Egyptians chase afterwards and are swept up in the sea and the Hebrews begin their journey to the promised land. And the final scene is Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. And then we get that sweet R&B mm. Uh, when you be <laughs> yeah. whoever does Mariah Carey and Whitney Mariah Houston. Mariah Carey and uh, Whitney Houston. Yeah, yeah. Did you notice that there's a trend in like '90s movies that they take a, a version of the song in the movie and they like kind of make it an R&B version? I am so glad you said that because like I was really <laughs> wanting to talk about that because it is so freaking weird. <laughs> Why is that a thing? And it's it like only in the '90s, but like as it soon- is. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, anytime there's like a big animated film, they always take like probably like the title song and redo it. And that always made me so mad as a kid. Like I would always stop like as soon as the movie was over because I'm like, I don't want to listen to this trash. Like why is this here? (laughs) And like half of them are done by Peebo Bryson for some reason. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's all I know him for is doing the end credits (laughs) for Disney Disney 90s movies. (laughs) Yeah, I remember there's... I don't even know if he had a career before that. Right, right. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Who knows? I remember from Mulan, too. was Michael. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) From Mulan on like the DVD version of it. And I think maybe at the end of the VHS, they had one where it was Stevie Wonder and uh, some boy band. Like, I can't even remember what song they did. But I was just like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever (laughs) seen. Like, why did Stevie Wonder agree to do this? Yeah. Man. Yeah, and Hercules had Michael Bolton right. sing the song. Right. Um, uh, what was the name of the song? Um, was that Go the Distance? Go the Distance, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Go the Distance. And then, of course, Tarzan wasn't R&B, but you know, they did Trash Backstreet in the Boys. I actually, Backstreet, I actually uh, like that version. It was NSYNC. It wasn't Backstreet Boys. It was NSYNC. Or NSYNC, sorry. Yeah, Same thing. With uh, Justin Timberlake. And, yeah. Right, right. Oh, <laughs> well, I love yeah. that version. Yeah, no, it's yeah, great. Yeah, it's good. That's the only good one to come <laughs> out of there. I mean, this one, the, the one for Prince of Egypt is not bad um, no. comparatively to some of the other ones. Like, oh, some of the others are just so cringeworthy. <laughs> like, whoever thought that was a good idea should be fired. Yeah. And maybe okay. they were. I don't know. Of course, we can't say much about, you know, Elton John's uh, mm. You Can Feel the Love Tonight. I mean, that's Can cool. You Feel the Love Tonight? Can, sorry, can you <laughs> I mean, mm, that was good. That's good. I, I'll be honest, I liked most of them. Really? I mean, yeah. Hmm, they always just made me kind of frustrated. I'm like, the original is so much better. Why do I even want to hear this version? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That was the 90s for you. That's the 90s. But, Ugh, what, a, yeah. what a decade, man. <laughs> yeah. A lot of good movies in the 90s. Yeah. Though. Like, honestly, if I was to pick a decade... Of some of the best movies ever, I might pick the nineties. Mm. Know? Yeah, I mean, there's some stellar hits, but there's also a lot of bombers. Oh, for sure. But I feel like, as a generalization, there were a ton of hits from the nineties. Yeah, I mean, you got your Jurassic you got Park, your Forrest Gump, mm. your Shawshank Redemption, 
Jurassic Park, Braveheart, Schindler's, Schindler's List, American I mean, Beauty, the Braveheart. Yeah, you've got a lot of those in there. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, like, that's the one that always jumps out to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Matrix, like a lot mm-hmm. of groundbreaking films. Right. Of course, that's you know, computer technology is emerging at that yeah. time. But Terminator Two, that... amazing movie. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. so good. And like good TV yeah. shows too. That was like the peak of like the sitcoms. Yeah. You get like Frasier, Seinfeld, all that good oh, stuff. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's funny though. The This, this is kind of getting off topic. But like the sitcom <laughs> genre is like totally dying out. Yeah. The laugh track. Thank God. Like, And it makes sense because, you know, what's the point of that? It's dumb. It's like, it's kind of insulting to the audience. Mm-hmm. It's like. I'm going to tell you when you need to laugh. Yeah. Because you're not smart enough to figure it out on your own. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. It seems like Disney Channel is the only one keeping it alive right now. I mean, I haven't seen That's anything true. on Disney Channel for like the last, I don't know how many years, but Mm-mm. I remember their shows. Don't have, I don't have TV. Oh, yeah. Who does? I mean, no or offense to those of you who, who <laughs> out there who still have cable TV like good on you. It's all about streaming. Streaming. Though. Yeah. Well, still trying to figure out what I think about that. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, I wonder if it's a dangerous thing just because it's a draw away from like the rarity that we had as kids where, you know, it was always like a gem to find, like go to like the Hollywood video on Friday night and like pick out two movies and bring them back. And then those are the two movies you'd watch during the weekend. And because it was so limited, it just kind of made you appreciate the films more, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's With having everything at your fingertips, it's great because we can have access to a lot of films like never seen before. We can really go in depth mm. with all of that. But I, I kind of wonder if, you know, people would kind of start to lose like the whole almost nostalgic factor of just everything kind of being, yeah. you know, you have to hunt for it. And whenever you find it, you're like, oh, yes, I, I'm so glad I found yeah. this. And it's so much more enjoyable because of that. Exactly. I don't know how often this happens to you, but like I'll just get on Netflix and just be completely overwhelmed with all of the options. Oh, and all the time. I'll spend I'll spend thirty forty five minutes for looking for something, and and then I'll give up. Yeah, <laughs> not pick anything because it's like <laughs> not pick I, I don't want to get into or a I'll just TV go back show. To the office. Yeah, and uh, and all the movies that I want to watch are like too long, and so I'm just like I I don't have yeah. the time for this, and so. You know, I could have watched like half a movie in the time that it takes me to pick something or not pick something. Yeah. So it's like, it's funny because like the show, I'll just always look at the runtime and I'm just like, ah, oh, too long, too long, too long. <laughs> yeah. wasted so much time. Yeah. If I added all the time together that I was looking for mm-hmm. movies, I could watch a lot of movies. Yeah. It's like, it has to be an hour and 20 minutes or under or I'm yeah, not watching it. It's going to be it. a tight hour 15. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise I can't do it. <laughs> Cost me too much. Well, True. We should probably dig into this movie now. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Mm. I don't know how long we've been going, but yeah, uh, a little while. So, okay. But man, this, I, I honestly think there will never be another animated film like this ever again. This is such like mm. a crazy gem, and um, oh, yeah. and part of it maybe even placed into the theme of it. So I, I'm just going to throw out my two words right now. But I, I, I put in yep. unwanted responsibility. This. It just deals so much with, you know, a man being called by his uh, by his God to go and do something. And they do play it on on it in the film. But I feel um, there's a a lot more kind of reluctance in actual the, the story in Exodus of, you know, him just like not wanting to go and do that and mm-hmm. saying, I, I don't 
I don't want to go and be the figurehead for this. Like, I am not worthy of it. Like, my words will come out wrong and all that, and I'll, yeah. I'll mess it up. Yeah, and you know, they didn't even, they, I wonder what it would have been like if they would have laid into that more. Mm-hmm. Because uh, just thinking about, like, his interact, like, just from the burning bush on, he doesn't, I mean, he's kind of all in at that point. Yeah. I mean, there are mom- there are moments where he's like just really saddened at what's going on, but there's never after that moment he's he's pretty much all in with what uh, you know God has in store. Right. And so I wonder if they would have if they what would have what it would have been like if they would have played into that kind of his doubting mm-hmm. a little bit more. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they play into it in a different aspect um, that than what is actually in the text. Um, in the whole scope of him being brothers with Ramesses and him having to mm. go up against his brother. And that's kind of like oh, the main source of his, you know, not wanting to do this because he's having to go against the person who he's grown up with, who he's been childhood friends with, who, you know, they tormented the priests with and ran chariots through the streets and destroyed stuff with and consoled each other. And so having to forsake him for these people that he doesn't even know is you know it's a hard emotional thing right my two words are devastating love one thing i really love about this movie is and we can get into it a little bit more but just briefly i mean just the way they portray god they portray him um they portray different aspects of him very well and i think they portray his i kind of like to call it his goodness and his greatness so his kind of you know the the god that's talked about a lot in the old you know people kind of compare and contrast God from the New Testament versus the Old mm-hmm. Testament, but, and they kind of say the God of the Old Testament is more fire and brimstone, and then kind of the New Testament is more of a display of his love, but destructive love, because there's so much um, kind of chaos going around, and this is kind of specifically in the relationship between Moses and Ramses, and specifically during the period of um, let my people go, mm. Pharaoh says no, let my people go, Pharaoh says no. Yeah. You know, it's just this constant cycle of Moses trying to do what he's been called to do, you know, trying to love his God, following him, doing what is right, and then Ramsey's not responding to that and causing more destruction. And so it's just a vicious cycle of destruction. But, and, and then Moses, you know, responding to the call. I feel like God portrayed in this, he comes, he comes equally in love and in truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in, uh, in delivering his people, you know, doing the right thing. So those are my two words. Yeah, that's fascinating. And um, yeah, that, that to me is one of the most striking aspects of the film is just the relationship between the two of them, I feel, is one of the oh, yeah. like the emotional crux of the film. And it didn't I, I didn't really grasp that as much as a kid. But nowadays, mm-hmm. man, it just it hits me so hard, like mm-hmm. having to think of like. Uh, if any of you have listened to like our Wally episode, you know you love you know I love my brother so much, and just even imagining having to be on polar opposite sides where we're like fighting against each other, and it gets to like this point of like almost hatred for each other. It just breaks my heart thinking about that. Like that is such a hard thing to be called to do is to go against your brother. Oh my gosh, yeah, and they're just so close at the beginning of this mm-hmm. movie, and. I just love the way that this, I feel like this adaptation is, is very much character driven. Yes. I mean, they do such a good job establishing the characters and, and, and the relationship between Moses and his brother. I mean, 
it's they you know quit back and forth <laughs> there's kind of a playfulness and a kind of a like a playful animosity you know they jab at each right. other um and they they do that so well which just makes it even more heartbreaking when just throughout the course of the film one of the hardest or just a scene that just really gets me is when Moses has returned after you know being in exile in the desert hmm. and him and, and Pharaoh or Ramses are they've been in the they just did the playing with the big boys boys yeah yeah and then they go and and ramsey's like what's this all about and uh and he's just like why can't why can't it be like why can't things be the way they were Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. it's just it's this moment it's this brief moment where it almost seems possible for like them to reconcile or ramsey's at least thinks that they can but moses is just like it things cannot be as they were mm-hmm. unless this is changed or it's, it's and just the kind of the symbolism of him giving his ring back oh my gosh saying, yeah this ring was like the symbol of of the their brotherhood and it's the one thing he didn't toss away when he was shedding his uh you know all of his clothes his, his prince trappings mm-hmm. and that he was holding on to that as you know as a symbol of his brother and he's like i cannot this can't be as it was um, in the current state of things. And so it's just, that was so heartbreaking yeah. to see. And then his heart was hardened. Yeah. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And like, it even kind of comes back in later on in the film. Like there's another point where he meets up with Pharaoh again and, you know, Pharaoh is kind of brooding on oh, yeah. um, the Anubis right? statue. Like yeah. And he comes down yeah. and they're yeah. like, Oh, do you remember whenever we did this and remember this and remember this? And they're like, they're like brothers yeah. again for that like brief moment. You're like, Oh, maybe yeah, it's going to happen. Really maybe briefly. he will let the Hebrews go. And then his like son comes in and it's like, well, why is he in here? Isn't he the man who's done all this to us? Like, why is mm-hmm. he? And you just see like, like his eyes just kind yeah. of like glare at Moses. And it's like, that's yeah. it. You know, it, it's, it's going to take gone. the destruction yeah, of the Egypt. Gone. But yeah, this, I, I, I honestly think there will never be another animated movie like this ever again. Just from. That interests me why you say mm-hmm. that. Like in what way? Sorry, keep, keep oh, going. Okay, wait. Why do you why do you think? <laughs> well, that's just a bold claim that there will never be another movie like that. Well, first off, that it's two D animation, and so like, who oh, yeah, knows? That's true. Yeah. Um, but even in even in the sense of like three D films, I never think there's going to be something like this again because mm. this was such a monumental task that they took on. First off, to basically have your entire um, your entire animation company to be built off of. A biblical story is yeah. pretty unheard of. There's like this story that whenever this film had kind of been in like limbo for a while where Jeffrey Katzenberg kept on pitching it to the executives at Disney and they're all just like, no, 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 we don't want to do that. You know, that's that's not really our thing. And so they make DreamWorks yeah. and then they want to start off with something big and something epic. And Jeffrey Katzenberg and Steven Spielberg are talking and just like, well, what are we going to do? Like, we want to make something very grandiose that will set the stage for us and have all these different elements in it. And Steven Spielberg is like, well, that sounds like the 10 commandments. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll make that then. And yeah. it's crazy that that's the first thing that they did. And to have, it is. have your studio start off with something so like on such a big scale and it's epic proportions, epic proportions, I mean, it huge, huge film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the scope of everything in it and how much they use like 2d and 3d animation in it is crazy like i 
there's so much of it like just in the way that the camera moves throughout it and like the set pieces of it and like the backdrops and just you know having you know like hundreds of people animated in one frame together is just nuts to think about and not to mention the whole cast like every single role in this is a major actor that is playing them you know there's like no small small characters like (laughs) even like some of the people that don't even have like a lot of lines like you know Aaron and Miriam don't have a ton of lines. They pay, play like pivotal characters, but it's like, you know, mm-hmm. Aaron's played by Jeff Goldblum and yeah. <laughs> Miriam is playing by, played by Which Sandra is Bull. almost distracting. Not quite, but almost distracting. Yeah, yeah. I like his voice in this. I think it's really good. It is and good. He, he lends but, like a good yeah. quality to it, to like the timidity of the character that they portray in it. And mm, yeah. got to have Sandy in there. Oh, man. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, Sandy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like you were saying, though, about just it being ep- epic proportions. I mean, the CG in this movie is amazing. And I believe this it will stand the test of time, no doubt. I feel like mm-hmm. so many movies around this era have animation that isn't going to be looked upon so fondly right. like in the future. But just to give you an idea, and like I believe it was like 10 animators working on that four minute sequence of uh of the red sea right took him like two years to complete that right and so that just gives you a glimpse at like the technical detail and care and effort they went into making this thing look grand majestic really kind of you know trying to you know give tribute to the story and uh and just what exactly you know is being accomplished you know it's kind of you know it's just emphasizing the like the greatness of god and it just Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they one hundred percent accomplished accomplished that. Right, and it's interesting even looking at like future DreamWorks films or like the two D animated films that they made after that, like uh, Sinbad and The Road to El Dorado. Because I remember watching those pretty yeah. recently, and I'm like, wow, the three D animation looks terrible in this. It is so yeah. bad and so distracting, and it, it just does not hold up. But you know, the fact that I didn't even remember that there was like three D animation in this, and I watched it like five years ago, and I was like, that's the thing. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. And like now I realize it because I was looking more for it. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Like the whole process, the process of it, of they didn't really make it. There's some things in there where you're like, okay, you know, they made that to look like it is 3d animated, but that they have like the crowd simulations that they do in there. They make mm-hmm. 3d maps and then put like 2d style animation on it, which is nuts. Yeah. Like I didn't yeah. even, think about that and like they like showed like a scene and they're like yeah and then there's like these 3d characters in the background i'm like wait which ones are 3d and which ones are just like the hand-drawn characters and they just blended in so well and there is some some stuff like in the chariot race where i'm like okay i i I can kind of see a little bit of like yeah that's such a that was such a complex like set oh my gosh chariots on the scaffolding it was really you know like you never see stuff like that, so it's even almost kind of hard to even have a reference. For right? It, but, yeah, because it's like yeah. the only chariot thing that you really see before that is like kind of like the Ben Hur chariot race and maybe a couple other yeah. films. But even so, it's like yeah. they're not riding down scaffolding with a giant nose falling down on them. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's just the physics of it are kind of crazy, yeah. and so yeah, it's pretty nuts. And that just made me think, though, that this there's such a brief period in like. I don't know if you would call it art history, mm-hmm. but like in cinema history, 
just with uh you know 2d integration with 3d mm -hmm. because i feel like it's such, such a short period of time because um they do it uh in tarzan treasure planet and atlantis those are all movies that kind of utilize um 2d characters in a 3d environment right and they all kind of do it disney had their own thing called deep canvas mm -hmm. which i'm sure we'll talk about uh, in another episode right but, um um but that's like such a short period of time that's probably like even if not even 10 years like maybe no. eight years where that that kind of style happened right mm -hmm. and that's like kind of mind-blowing and it's gone it's totally the animation anymore it's yeah. completely gone and that just makes me want to cry oh <laughs> you can cry on my shoulder riley it's okay oh thank you it's so sad <laughs> but it's just it really is sad that that's gone it because, is i mean and i'm glad that we have movies like this that we can continue to watch mm -hmm. but um it is a sad thing yeah this is also like a musical unlike any other animated musical I've seen. It's so operatic and Shakespearean and yes. the music just holds up so well. Like every single song is a hit. There like usually in a lot of like animated films there'll be like one or two songs where I'm like, eh, okay, I could I could deal with yeah, that not being in there. But this the one yeah. every single song is amazing. And like I just always forget it where I'm like, oh this is my favorite song. And then I listen to another one like, no, this one is and it's just always changing because they're all so good. Yeah, you didn't settle on a single one. Um, I I mean I'd probably have to say "Deliver Us" if I did have to choose because that to me yeah. is just one of the most powerful songs I've ever heard. Like it still gives me chills like listening to it, and I even just listening to it like I'll start to tear up at it just because it's such an emotional mm -hmm. scene. It's kind of the anthem of the movie. It really, really is. You know? It's kind of the backbone of it. Yeah. One thing I love about the movie is the intro or just but the music is that they introduce like three different musical themes mm -hmm. in the first like five minutes of the movie. Yeah. The very first thing we hear, like as the DreamWorks logo is going, is kind of the burning bush theme, mm -hmm. kind of the choral, orchestral, those really like beautiful notes. Oh, I love mm -hmm. that theme. And then right after that, we hear, like we show the, we see the Prince of Egypt uh, logo mm -hmm. and we hear the, um, the river lullaby, uh, the lullaby theme, yeah. or the river lullaby, mm -hmm. just the one trumpet oh. learning that. And then, Right after that, we get the, oh, and then it starts the, you know, deliver mm -hmm. us. And so we just hear uh, a good variety. They kind of uh, start the the motifs early on. Yeah. And like, and so that was it, whenever you talk about like really powerful intro sequences, you know, of course people talk about like up and then like going into like the live action realm, like, um, uh, shoot, what is it called? Something touch of evil and all that like of just like these really impactful like oh this is how you start a movie like this to me is a perfect example of that because it is so emotional and just like tells the story yes. of a whole nation all at once and you immediately mm -hmm. get what all is going on and you're already so emotionally pulled in that you know you're like i don't even know like where the rest of this movie is going to go but i'm hooked because mm -hmm. not only do they show you like the scope of like this entire people groups like suffering, but that it's like on the individual level, whenever you see Yocheved, um bringing Moses down to the stream and just that shot of her and like the wind blowing the hair in her face and the tears streaking mm -hmm. down just gets me every time. It's so powerful. It is. Yeah. That sequence of the basket in the river, just getting washed around always made me so nervous mm -hmm. as a kid or I just never liked it because I was just like oh, is he going to fall yeah you know, is he's going to get fall? eaten by a crocodile just... smashed by yeah. a boat 
<laughs> yeah, every time I thought that. Little baby Moses. And then once he's... Yeah. <laughs> and then he finally, you know, moseys on down towards the pharaoh's wife. Right. And then everything is okay. But Right. Um, yeah, that... Yeah, there's a sense of tension in that scene, even though I knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, this this movie probably for me holds the record that like to make me tear up the earliest on in the movie because that the yeah. intro always gets me. Uh, yeah, it is so rough, and one of the other reasons why I say this type of movie will never be made again is it's brutal. It is so brutal. Is. They're just like these, you know. You start off the There's movie murder. by yeah, <laughs> murder people getting like whipped and like thrown in the dirt and just like strain to physical limitations and mm. all of that stuff like there's babies babies mur- babies yeah, getting I mean, killed you know and like yeah. oh my gosh it is so intense like i think you know when you're a kid you're like okay you know it's it's a bible movie so you know you kind of understand it in like that aspect of it but mm-hmm. you know looking back on it now i'm like wow there is a lot of intense themes in here and just especially the plague sequence is horrifying you know you see like all the people with like the boils on them and like the livestock dying and you know rivers of blood and Mm -hmm. you know the firstborns being killed that haunted me as a kid that scared me so much Mm -hmm. felt very real yeah yeah especially because like i'm the oldest in my family i'm like oh my gosh is this gonna happen oh no (laughs) I, I gotta slaughter a lamb. I need some. <laughs> where's the Where's the nearest lamb from here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like this being a DreamWorks movie was a good, or I feel like DreamWorks doing this was a good decision. Yeah, and it makes me wonder if Disney would have made this movie, what no. kind of movie would it have been? I you know? I don't think it would have been as good as this. Like, there's just yeah. kind of this tone that D- DreamWorks mm-hmm. have has like for the respect for it like one thing i i don't even remember like from previous viewings but seeing this time at the very beginning and saying like you know this is our attempt at telling the story that is has meant a lot and is a cornerstone to a lot of faiths and religions and just kind of going in knowing that they have the respect for this story really impacts me a lot and then if you stay till the very end of the credits um there are scriptural readings from the Old Testament, mm-hmm. the New Testament, and the Quran, and that to me is yeah. just really fascinating. That's, it's kind of three different faiths. Exactly, there. they wanted, you know, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Yeah, they they kind of went into it wanting to kind of do justice, right, to all three. But uh, one thing to bring up is that people I've, I've been hearing a lot about is like historical inaccuracies, mm. and there are only a few that I can think of really. But I feel like all of the decisions they made were in service of the story, mm-hmm. uh, and they weren't anything that was heretical. You know, it was no. like, for example, um, the character of Aaron, right, uh, being kind of cowardly. One, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, you know, in in the actual text, he was never against Moses ever. No, I mean, he was always on his side. In fact, he was the one who performed a lot of the miracles. The, a lot of the miracles, right? So the turning the the Red Sea into blood, and then uh, turning the staff into a snake. Those were Aaron, yeah, uh, in the text, and and a couple other um, things too. Like whenever God sends him out, and Moses says, "Like I can't, I can't do this." Basically, he's like, "Well, then go meet with Aaron, and I will have him perform these miracles as well." Mm-hmm. And so Aaron is just yeah. kind of always standing by him. 
But it, it is interesting, like, because uh, I kind of like his character in this, even though it is not scripturally accurate, um, because he is so, like, timid. And there's just kind of this little turnaround for him that if you blink, you'll miss it, where, you know, mm-hmm. the entire time he's kind of like, oh, no, this is ridiculous. Like, you're not my brother. Like, I'm sorry that Miriam is speaking out. And whenever all of the Hebrews are leaving Egypt, he has to, like, he peeks out of his door and looks around first and then is able to go out and leave. But then by the time they get to the Red Sea and Moses parts it, Aaron is the first one to walk through. And just kind of like mm-hmm. that change in him is just so good. I love that. He's just essentially saying, you know, I trust you. Mm-hmm. I trust I trust God, right? Yeah. Um, more inaccuracies. Yeah, think... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think like those kinds of things don't matter because what they're trying to emphasize in the story is of like the greatness of God. I mean, that's who they're trying to elevate right. in that moment. And so it doesn't matter who's performing the miracle because he's just a vessel. Yeah. And so it's not, I don't know, people throw a fit over that. And <laughs> I don't really understand why, but no. Yeah. Were there other, other inaccuracies that <laughs> jumped out to the you? The thing that bothered me the most was whenever the Egyptians, Egyptians charged that a lot of people had swords and all that. I'm like, I mean, you got to realize the time you're living in, like hardly anyone would have had a sword or anything like that. Like (laughs) they'd probably be mostly fighting with like clubs or something. So just for me, just being Uh, a history nut, that's like the main thing that bothers me that they have access to all those metals because I'm like, they would not have been able to refine that much at this time period at all. Like maybe some spears or something like that, but it definitely mm-hmm. wouldn't be steel at the top. It would be rocks or that sort of thing. It would be rock. Yeah, rocks would be the, you know, doing the damage. What about the Ten Commandments? Does it, doesn't it, it kind of advances history a little bit ahead of its time probably too. Well, it, even. They're wearing like armor, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But um, well, one thing too is just the age difference because Moses stays a young man throughout this. But in the Bible, um, he is, right. he's 80 years old whenever he comes back to Pharaoh. So he's like an, old old man like he has his whole family Mm -hmm. he has all these kids whenever he's in Midian and you know they just kind of cut that out which totally makes sense because to have like something like that span like be like okay now we're gonna jump like 60 years into the future you're just like what like that doesn't make any sense yeah it's kind of a lot to to keep up with yeah Mm -hmm. and like all of a sudden he's an old man because it's like if I had seen that as a kid I would have thought it would be a completely different character and so kind of them keeping him the same age really helps i think uh younger minds mm-hmm. understand it better right it was just cleaner cut right you know less less puzzle pieces to put together mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. um, and of course there's other other smaller things in there that we don't really need to nitpick but to me i i think you said it well and that it a lot of these changes don't really matter in the sense that as long as they have like the theme and the truth of the story to it then that's what is important like i would rather have them kind of you know fudge some of the numbers or like shift a couple things around for better storytelling, but keep the story mm-hmm. true than have everything be like historically accurate and yet kind of miss out on some of the intent of the story. Of course, of course. And we always, there's always issues transferring something from, you know, text to movie script to movie, right. Or like book to movie, you know, there's just, there's always going to be that, that sense of, you know, you can't do it word for word or, mm-hmm. or you, it can't be the same. You know, you have to change some things to, it's called an adaptation for a reason. You know, it's adapted to screen. Right. Um, and I think, you know, adapting religious works is probably one of the more daunting things to do because it can mm. be so 
like, people can take huge offense over it. And it's like, I can't think oh, of yeah. a single movie that has been made more um, like publicly or like on a bigger scale that have like religious themes in it that hasn't been like boycotted by some religious group, oh, you yeah. know? Always. There's always yeah, going to be something. Fail. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. That's, that's a tough question. Cause like, I remember whenever Noah came out, I knew like, I, I know Darren yeah. Aronofsky. I know his films. I know he's mm-hmm. not, it's not going to be like, you know, a, a typical, like a 10 commandments sort of thing, but it's going to be more yeah. of like the struggle of the human nature mm-hmm. throughout all of it. And so like going into, it, I'm like, I know this is going to be a dark movie. And yeah. the room was like, 95 percent families and i'm like oh you do not know what you're bringing your kids into this is not like a christian film like yeah oh do your research please and what did he even make before that was it black swan black swan he'd done something in between the wrestler and requiem for a dream pie all that sort of stuff very dark films (laughs) very dark and nothing like prince of egypt and no uh (laughs) <laughs> his filmography yeah. yeah or even like exodus you know whenever ridley scott made that and people oh, yeah, were like throwing Kings. fits right. over that and i personally didn't like the film um not from like a religious standpoint but from i was just like uh i, I don't know there it just yeah. didn't they didn't sell it to me and it was just kind of it, it although it does bring up some like interesting questions though because the depiction of god in films is always an interesting Uh, Mm -hmm. issue to deal with because that can be like kind of the most offensive thing and so the choice of like Ridley Scott picking a kid to play God was I I think for a lot of people oh wow I didn't even yeah I haven't seen it okay yeah it's uh, it's it's pretty mediocre but I I remember (laughs) a lot of people freaking out that they're like he picked God or a kid to be God like that's ridiculous and (laughs) like a lot of from a lot of Christian groups and you're like but how how can you expect a non-Christian to have the reverence towards God that a Christian does? Like, right. it's pretty unrealistic. And to me, it's a fascinating study because I'm like, yeah, uh, probably a lot of the actions and commands that God does to like a non-Christian seem like an angry child just kind of yelling at people to do these things. And so I think that it proposes like a more interesting like philosophical and theological discussion than anything. We'll have to watch it just so we can. We'll t- we'll do another episode on, <laughs> on all Exodus. the Exodus interpretations. Gods and <laughs> oh, gosh, mm. yeah, because there's that. There's Ten Commandments, this, and then Ten Commandments, and then I think Ten Commandments is actually a it's a. a it's a remake of one from the twenties, I think. Yeah, didn't it? Uh, there's, so. uh, yeah, there's like an older Ten Commandments, I think, because I think Cecil B. DeMille did a version of it. Maybe I may be mm. totally off on that, but he was the one that did the sword and sandal epics back then. So I, I kind of feel okay. like it's a safe bet. <laughs> but man, there's there's just so many aspects to this film that just astound me, and there's so much intentionality to it that I feel like is lacking in a lot of animated films nowadays Hmm. and just uh, how much like research into it that they did and just like every frame in this movie is gorgeous it has some of the most stunning Mm. animated backdrops i've ever seen in my entire life yeah i think the technical achievement this movie made was astounding 
just in almost every aspect. I mean, yeah, we've been talking about the story, but the, uh, I mean, music and animation are top notch. I mean, top notch. Mm-hmm. I just love the characters' uh, expressions in this movie. Just their facial expressions. It's I don't know. It's hard to describe exactly what what it is, but it's it feels. I mean, it's different than Disney. Definitely. I don't know. It's more I, angular. For some reason, when I yeah, when I think of it, I, I of this movie in particular, I really Ramsey kind of sticks out in my head. Mm. Sorry, not Ramsey. Ramsey. <laughs> We're going to talk about Dave Ramsey now. Dave um, Ramsey. <laughs> Uh, Ramesses, whenever Moses has asked his people to go, and he's kind of just staring at the ring, and he leans back, closes his eyes, and then opens them again, mm. kind of with a new resolve to not let his people go. Just the whole transformation of his face during that moment um, just was really, it just really got me. It was, it was just really effective. I don't know if it, it was just the, yeah, very, very angular yeah. animation. And it's, I love that they gave attention to kind of ethnicities because mm-hmm. it was very obvious that like Moses and Ramses didn't really look alike. Yeah. You know, they looked different. Mm-hmm. And like, you could tell that Moses really looked like, like more like Aaron and his brother and different and facial Miriam. and bodily uh, yeah. structures. And even like Zipporah yeah. and the Midianites as well. Yeah, exactly. So like you, they looked their whole clan looked similar mm-hmm. and I just love that they gave attention to that. Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. It is. It's interesting. The aspect to it as well. And um, I mean, just like the, the structure of the characters, they feel like, I don't know, like, like you said, it feels different than Disney films, like the way that they did. Of course, because it's not Disney and not everyone has to be based off of Disney, but just the way that they have their characters move and, look and feel and just like yeah they just have this life to them that's really good like i i see them as individual characters instead of drawings and they this film maybe more than any other animated film i've seen um or a 2d animated film i've seen uses camera language like better than like just about anything else Uh, just like using the frame like one of my favorite sequences in the film is after moses has ran away from egypt and he's walking through the desert and it's these different transitional shots of him walking in like different landscapes and he makes his way like across the frame and that to me is just beautiful like that is good filmmaking right there is Mm -hmm. using the structure of the camera to show Mm -hmm. transition is so good and that's something you don't really see a whole lot in uh, a lot of previously animated films is just using the techniques yeah. and all that diversity within the frame right different kinds of shots you know a lot of movies are just it's, it's a bunch, bunch of mediums or mid shots what do you call it like a mid a two two shot or something or... what do you Probably. yeah a medium mm-hmm. yeah a medium just like yeah it just la- lacks diversity essentially right and yeah gosh one of my or i think my favorite song in this movie is all i ever wanted Mm, yeah Um, i love the way it starts because it's i don't know if you would if it's considered part of the theme but just the you know the hans zimmer score it's right after moses realizes um that he's a hebrew after miriam sings that song to him and he's like he has that moment of realization 
and then he's he kind of panics and runs runs back home but then the music starts right then mm-hmm. and oh i just love love that theme um the whole song of all i ever wanted is kind of interesting because it's a lie pretty much because it's what? a lie yeah because like the whole song is pretty much saying he's like trying to convince himself of that this is what he wants but then the very last phrase is surely this is all i ever wanted mm. It's like a hint of doubt in there, but that's the only moment in the song. Um, and I thought that was really cool. And then even within the song itself, I kind of found some foreshadowing. Um, cause part of the lyrics are, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a sovereign prince of Egypt, son uh, of a proud history that's shown etched on every wall. Mm. And for me, that kind of like foreshadows what he's going to discover yeah. about, um, about what happened to his people, you know, when he comes across the, the painting of, which this may be kind of a plot hole. I don't know how he wouldn't have seen this before. I don't know. Just it's a the... big temple. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I feel like he probably, yeah, that's true. even so where he has, yeah, he... he has the dream immediately afterwards where he's an etching on the wall, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so I thought that was really unique mm-hmm. uh, intentionality there. One thing that I literally yeah, I discovered, thought. like, probably five minutes before this episode whenever I was driving here uh, and I was listening to um, The Plagues because that's one of my favorite oh, songs nice. is whenever, you know, it's a very dark and brooding tone and whenever Moses first starts singing, he's singing his own tune to All I Ever Wanted and right. and he says, it's you know, this is the last thing I, I ever wanted with, of being pitted yeah. against his brother and it's so good. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. just that they use... The repetition of that theme is amazing mm-hmm. and makes the song so even more powerful. Yeah. I love that song. So we've got that song. We've got, what other song? Um, Through Heaven's Eyes. Mm-hmm. Is that the name of the song? Yeah, Through Heaven's Eyes. Yeah. Oh, Through Heaven's Eyes. Such a good one. I, I <laughs> This is like even happening now of like, oh yeah, this is my favorite one. And then I like, I think about another one. I'm like, oh my gosh, but this is so good too. <laughs> yeah. Have you... you you have the CD, right, of the the soundtrack? I don't own it, but I, I mean, I think in college you you gave it to me, and I downloaded it on my computer. Right, right. So I do, I do have it. But the the um, the CD is like nuts. So like it has all of you know the songs that are in the film, and then uh-huh. typical '90s CD, they have the thing where they add on a bunch of extra songs at the end, where it's like sung by a bunch of different people. So it starts off, you know, you have like when you believe by Mariah Carey and Wendy Houston and then you have like through heaven's boys eyes to men, boys to men come <laughs> on are you kidding me two boys to men songs through heaven's yeah. eyes oh, which two? is oh they do a cover of through heaven's eyes which is like the most atrocious really? thing I've ever heard it is so oh weird then there's like the river lullaby performed by Amy Grant of course because you have to have that in the late 90s oh yeah and then to me, the most bonkers song on this album, Humanity, which is one I've only listened to oh. once, and it is ridiculous. I, I just have to read you who all is in this song, because this is nuts. So there's a bunch of people on here who I don't know. Who knows? Maybe some of you will know. But this is the list of all the people who appear on the song. Jessica Andrews, Clint Black, Boys to Men, Shirley Caesar, Jesse Campbell, Carmen... Beth Nielsen, Chapman, Christian, Charlie Daniels, Linda Davis, DC Talk, 
Danny Glover, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, Amy Grant, the Ricky Grundy Corral, Fred Hammond and Radical for Christ, Jars of Clay, Toby Keith, Val Kilmer, Allison Krauss, Mac McAnally, Donnie McClurkin, Brian McKnight, Helen Mirren, Brian Stokes, Mitchell, Patrick Stewart, Take Six, Tyrone Tibbet, and Greater Annoying Anointing, BB Winnens, and CC Winnens. Which what? Wow. What is that? That's one song. That's one or song. Is that for the whole and what? <laughs> Isn't that God. nuts? I listened to it and I was like, sick. there's no way. Like how am I going to hear Patrick Stewart and Helen Mirren on this song? And like, it's weird because like some of the artists will get like one line in a verse. And so like, I heard like one line where I'm like, that's DC talk. Like, what are they doing on this? Oh my gosh. Like, Oh, what yeah. is this? It's that's kind of late for DC talk too. Cause they had their peak like in the late eighties or something. Uh, like kind of early nineties. Yeah. I don't know. DC Talk is back, boy. <laughs> boy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yep, good old DC. Yeah. It's funny. There's. I feel like there's a lot of soundtracks out there that add random songs that weren't in the movie to the soundtrack. It's just like a total marketing thing. Yeah. You know? Did you notice that there was just... this whole trend where it's like 90s and early to mid 2000s? Like any movie that kind of had like Christian themes in it, they would release like the CD of the soundtrack and then release a CD that's like songs inspired, oh, inspired. by it. Yeah. Like that is so weird. Why did they do yeah. that? Like I remember there's one for like, there's like three different Prince of Egypt CDs. And then there's like one for like Chronicles of Narnia, both for like the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe yeah. and Prince Caspian. And I, I don't know why they thought that was a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, well, some of them were, were. I know that they were written for the movie, right? But others, I don't know if they were or, or weren't. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just it's just kind of a cash grab, you know. Although we did uh, get "This Is Home" out of the Prince Caspian one, so that's, that's right. good. Switchfoot. Yeah, which I can't <sighs> yeah. believe this is our first Switchfoot um, shout out. <laughs> it's taken us what is this eight for, episodes yeah. to get here? <laughs> Nine. This is, this is number eight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. This is number nine. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll have maybe, I'm sure if we did a music podcast, it would have been. Oh, yeah. In Pretty close. Intro. Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> of course. You got to do it. Yeah. If you don't know who Switchfoot is. Check them out, please. I don't even know what to, I don't even know what to say. Right. Right. We'll just move on. Yeah. So right. the music of the film, Hans Zimmer, this is one of my favorite scores of his. Oh, my gosh. It's me too. amazing. Oh, my gosh. And it cracks me up, too, that, like, in the chariot scene, um, you can hear, like, the gladiator slash Pirates of the Caribbean theme start to come in. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, there there you go, Hans. Good There's on you. Hans. <laughs> Hans, the way we, we love him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite, like, honestly... This, I mean, the songs are great, but like, this, what really shines for me is just the musical score and the arrangements. Right. And probably where I get hit emotionally the hardest is the just the burning bush theme. Oh my god! Just the arrangement during that scene. I've been moved to tears several times watching that. Oh, uh, so this gets well, add to your list. To ah. Sorry, not quite to tears. <laughs> but close. Really close. Like this is on the threshold. Okay. I mean, it's. 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> if, if you were ever interested in math, if you know an asymptote where it just gets up, it's like it gets so close. Right, right. You feel it where graph, well it never enough. actually gets there. It's like as close as possible. Yeah. yeah. Your eyes start to redden a bit and you get the sniffles it's coming just, on and you're it's so For close. me it's it's all about the like the chest, the feeling in, in the chest. Oh, and, and it the, heaves. Uh my heart my heartbeat beats a lot faster mm. and um it's just like a get, and you know, my breath kind of the rate kind of changes yeah. oh my gosh the water works but, so coming. i listened yeah i listened to the or i i watched this movie a couple nights ago and i was like i don't care that i have neighbors i'm blasting the sound <laughs> during this scene <laughs> because i want to feel the power of god in the moment so i am uh, that i am that i am who made man's mouth mm. the mute the deaf the blind did not i yeah now go uh, seriously, that moment is its kind of, I guess you could call it the turning point in the story. Yeah. Or it's really where, I mean, he has his mission. And so it's a, it's a pivotal moment in the movie. And that's when I think of the Prince of Egypt, that's usually what I think about. Mm-hmm. It's that moment. Yeah, that is. Or that's it's the, the feeling in my heart, that spot that I go to when I think of it. Right. That, that to me is probably the most powerful scene in the movie as well. It's just, it's so well done too. Like it. It, is. it doesn't feel cheesy or like preachy or anything like that. It's just kind of oh, like yeah. this man just thrown into the state that, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And to like, even kind of go into like a little bit more of historical context, because I love just <laughs> diving into that. It's pretty fascinating <laughs> yes. to me that even, or I just recently found out that like the Midianites that he's staying with were actually monotheistic, which is really rare back then. Like I, I, mm. I, I was just assuming like, oh yeah, they're polytheistic, like kind of everyone else's. Cause it's like, even the Hebrews get to a point really? where they're, I mean, I think at this point they are still polytheistic, but they like kind of put God over everyone. And it's not until uh, the 10 commandments that they centralized and they're like okay we need to be monotheistic because right, they, they kind of refer to like the god of moses right the god of jacob it's like there's this one god that seems to kind of be taking the stage but they still kind of recognize other gods exactly yeah. and it kind of even plays into yeah. ramesses's mindset of just like i've never heard of your god or these are the gods of a quote-unquote lesser yeah. people you know like why would i follow him and it's, yeah. so you, you kind of get that sense of like oh he just he just doesn't understand because there's so many other gods that he follows like by the power of Ra Anubis yeah. Lucas <laughs> Heftet oh, gosh uh, I can't remember most of them <laughs> what do you what do you think of the, of those two characters Hotep and Hoy like, like kind of the yeah like they're kind of the comedy relief yeah kind of but they're not even that funny that really I think they're pretty I mean, funny they're kind of funny they have some really funny lines real, in the, there the funny moment I think or like when they pour water on them mm-hmm. up when the, they're up, up uh, Ramesses, you'll be in trouble for this. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. And then he just pours on them again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's in trouble. Yeah. Might as well but, go out the uh, way. Yeah. Sin boldly. <laughs> yes. And that's not what that means, but we'll put that on a t-shirt, sell it mm. in our merch store. Anyway, um, I, I mean, they're pretty funny, but yeah. like, they only have a few moments, I think. Right. But it's not supposed to be a funny movie. No, <laughs> no. It's a pretty serious film, which also at the yeah. time for animated films was pretty rare, you know, to just have a mm-hmm. one with such a serious tone and to address such weighty subjects is 
I, I can't really think of anything else that, that does that, you know? I mean, maybe in a different sense, like a non-religious sense, but it just, right. there's so many concepts that they grasp in here of just like, you know, faith of death and life of slavery yeah. of, you know, royalty and all of these things. Mm-hmm. It's just a mature film overall. Mm-hmm. And even I would kind of describe the music that way. I mean, it's, I feel like he's Hans Zimmer scores animated movies the same way he does like a normal movie. Exactly. Like, that's kind of one of the reasons they brought him on to the Lion King in the first place was because that was like his first animated movie. Right. And they wanted him to kind of bring the, uh, to kind of ditch the, the you know, the standard way that animated movies were scored. Mm-hmm. And, and Lion King is another one of my favorite. I feel like of Han, Hans Zimmer's scores, his animated ones are my favorite. Okay. Honestly. I'd probably say mine is Inception, but <laughs> I do love his animated yeah, ones as well. Yeah, I just Lion King and the Prince of Egypt are probably the standouts for me of his mm. filmography. But um, yeah, he just approached this movie with so like the score is very uh, I don't know what's the word. I mean, it's just it's grandiose mature, and it's grandiose, epic. It doesn't play as much of a of a logistical role as more of a um, creating the right moods mm-hmm. and the, the themes he brings into it that are repeated throughout are just played at the right moments just to bring the right emotion out of you. And it's, yeah, it's just done in such an eloquent way. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure how else to describe it. Yeah. And uh, that kind of makes me think of something else too. So this, this film actually really has, a huge impact on me because it is actually in a way like one of my biggest inspirations and one of the things one of the films that led me to want to be in the film industry because this was actually the first film that I watched like as a kid where I realized movies can be more than movies like it's more than just entertainment mm-hmm. and there is like mm. power and you know films can impact people's lives and I think I was like maybe uh, like in third or fourth grade or something like that. And I remember watching it for like the billionth time and just like it just clicking right then and there. I'm like, mm-hmm. there is weight to this. There, this yeah. so much can be done through this medium. And so this film was kind of like the first one to awaken that in me. It really hits home. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And is that, is that kind of where you wanted to be a filmmaker at that point? Or did that really just kind of establish for you what movies can be? Well, a, a bit of both because like after that, you know, I did the typical kid thing of getting the pim like my fam- family's uh, camcorder and, you know, of course made my own version of like <laughs> Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and all that sort of stuff, oh, yeah. which should never, ever resurface because, oh my gosh, we, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that you could like have someone in frame and then hit pause and then have them move out of frame and then hit record again and make it seem like they disappeared. Like whenever we figured that out, I was like, Oh my gosh, like I've unlocked all the secrets it's of film. Movie magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. Cause that's exactly how they did a lot of special effects in the, Oh yeah. Like, like George Melies and, and you know, the trip to the moon and all that. And not as much in oh, the yeah. trip to the moon, but just uh, a lot of those older films, like he was a pioneer of those yeah. practical effects. But this is this is an interesting movie in animation history. Um, it it kind of to me stands yeah. out among among the rest because I mean, like I've said, I don't think there will ever be another movie like it, and I just I can't really think of another film to compare this to, or at least an animated film to compare this yeah. to. But uh, not even in DreamWorks' own filmography. No, really. 
yeah, they never tackle anything yeah. as like big or epic as this again and or as like personal as well. Um, but uh, one thing I kind of wanted to talk about, especially with this film, um, back whenever Filmstruck was alive, Rip Filmstruck, miss you so much. Rest in peace. Um, <laughs> they had this series where they would interview directors and like have them kind of list out like a couple, like five films that they would recommend for people to watch. And so Guillermo del Toro did um, one of them, and one of his films was Time Bandits, which is also a fantastic movie. But one of the reasons why he says he loves it so much is it never talks down to its audience. It never just assumes kids are stupid or like that they can't understand heavy or weighty materials, but lets them deal with that. And that's what this film does. And I think that's why I loved it so much as a kid, because I didn't feel talked down to by it. Like I Mm -hmm. felt like it respected me as a viewer and that it knew I could handle these tougher materials instead of just like, oh, skirting around it or just not showing something. Thanks, Guillermo. <laughs> Guillermo. Yeah, that's great. One thing uh, I loved, uh, and I kind of talked a little bit about the, you know, like the portrayal of God. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love, and I think it's biblically accurate, just the way that they kind of portray God as someone to be, someone to be loved and also someone to be feared. Right. You know, it kind of brings back what it means, like a God-fearing man. Mm-hmm. Just the moments. I just love the, the moment where, like, he separates the Red Sea, mm. and everyone's just in awe of what's happening. And you see so much power, and then you see that the whale shark swimming by them. It's like they're surrounded, I guess, surrounded by danger in a sense, but they're protected. But and then one moment that I really like is when, or I just I feel is a really powerful moment is when the sea is coming is is coming back in mm-hmm. after it's been up, and it's like they barely get out of there in time, and the waves are just rusting really, really, really fast. And then all of a sudden it's explosion up. Right. And then everybody just, everybody just sits and, or they just stand and stare at the sea as it's calming down. And it's kind of a long cut mm-hmm. of everybody just kind of, uh, realizing what just happened. They're in awe. And it's just kind of like this God is powerful and he's, it's almost scary. Like how powerful right. this is. And I feel like that's one thing that the movie captured really well. And, and it kind of goes back to the burning bush scene too, like um, just the way that God interacts with Moses in that scene. Um, he's very loving, but then the moment Moses accuses him of choosing the wrong person, he like, pow, he whaps him and he's like, no, like, I think, yeah, he says, who made man's mouth? Right. It's like, this is me. Like I, I made, I made the mute, the deaf, the blind, mm-hmm. you know, it's like who, who to do this, but me or like, did not I, did I do this? you know, and I just love how quickly he was he kind of rebuked Moses. But then right after that is the moment where he's like, don't worry, you know, I'll, I'll be with you when you do this. I mm-hmm. will give you the power. And he just envelops him in his presence and in his glory. And he just comes back to him in a loving way. And so I just love how in that whole scene, you see different aspects of God, I think. And I will strike them with all my really wonders. Well. Just yeah, such an amazing way to phrase that. Like, yeah, I remember like just even as a kid, like hearing that and being like, Oh my gosh. Like, (laughs) wow. (laughs) Yeah. It's, what do you think of them having, you know, so there's like, you know, it's predominantly a man's voice, but you also hear like a woman and a child in there as well. Like what, what are Mm -hmm. your thoughts on that? Yeah. I think it's, um, I mean, obviously God, 
I mean, as far as this, you know, the scripture says, I mean, God doesn't have a gender. I mean, I think it was interesting that they used Val Kilmer to voice it, you know, the same as Moses. And I think that was what they did in Ten Commandments too. And I think this was a big deal for them to try and figure out. Um, I think they experimented a lot with, like, who's going to be more powerful? Like, is it going to be, should it be equally a woman's voice and equally a man's? They played around, but eventually settled on kind of having Val Kilmer's voice be the dominant one. And I think it works well. Yeah. I don't really know if it would have been... I'm trying to imagine in my head what it, what it would have been like if it was like equally female and like male. Maybe just a bit distracting, almost. It would definitely be like, oh, I'm, no, I'm really noticing that it's a female and a male at the same time. Right. And I don't think it should be something you notice a whole lot, you know? I mean, it's, you know... God the Father. Right. It's, it's kind of symbolism. He symbolized as a man, but or as a male. But but I think I, I I was happy with how they did it. I think it was effective. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, I think I think it was very tastefully done. And I remember seeing this interview with Sandra Bullock, where this the interviewer was asking her like, "So who is it that plays the voice of God?" and uh, she's like, I don't know. Like, they never told us. Like, they just kind of mm. had each one of the actors come in and do a reading of it and just kind of, like, mix the voices together. So I don't think it's only Val Kilmer's voice. Like, I think there's other of the voices in there. Like, right. probably some Patrick Stewart or Jeff Goldblum or... Yeah, there is. You, sure. Or Ray Fiennes and all of that. And and mm-hmm. so I think that's a really fascinating way of doing that. And I think that's a really tasteful way as well. And I, I really like the depiction of it as well. Yeah, it's like 70-30. Right. Or 80-20 or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that like... It's soothing. You just feel it, you know. Just feel that presence. It's also like, in the credits, you can't just put Val Kilmer. God. You know? <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's a good way to kind of skirt around that as well. I also just want to give a shout out to Ray Fiennes because I love him as an actor and his voice as Ramesses is just perfect in this. Like, oh my gosh, all the voices are perfect, but him especially just captures the emotion of it so well. And just his cries out to Moses of his longing to want his brother back with him. It's heartbreaking. Just the kind of scene towards the end where you hear Ramsey's yelling back at Moses after he's already crossed mm-hmm. and it's just a kind of echoing in his mind. It's like he's never going to forget that. Yeah. So Ray finds something, he has a quality about his voice that's almost villainous, you know? Voldemort and uh, Amon Get right. and mm-hmm. all the other villains. I don't know exactly what makes it like that, but yeah, I mean, it, it works well. Yeah. And he's just, he's a talented voice actor to begin with. It's kind of like this wicked refinement to it almost. You know, we're like, oh, it almost seems soothing the way it is, but yeah, it it's sounds, just like there's something slightly. We're like, oh, maybe not. Right. It sounds very intelligent, though. Like, it sounds sure of himself. You know? Yeah. I don't know. There's just a, a almost a certainty about his voice. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Go refines. Yeah. Good on you. <laughs> well. I I would love to keep on talking about this more, but <laughs> we should probably start to wrap it up. It's been a little while. This is definitely a longer one now. Yeah. We'll uh we'll we'll talk more when we uh, review uh, Joseph and the uh, <laughs> Joseph and the King what of Dreams. That's the next King one, baby. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, what a 
what a fantastic mm, uh, sequel really lives up it's, <laughs> it's like they said with all the great sequels where it surpasses the one before it oh yeah i mean mm-hmm. godfather 2 move out yeah. of the way joseph king of dreams is oh, coming in yeah it's it will stand the test of time. <laughs> right well okay, i can't well. remember how many points i have from last time but um, yeah, we're gonna do points now. Uh, yeah, let's. We're, we're gonna try and keep track. We'll, we'll try out with that. We haven't figured out what's gonna happen with the winner. Maybe you know you guys could give us some input on that as well. But yeah, for our, our little trivia section, yeah, we're we're gonna start keeping track of points. And do I get a point for listing off all of the, like each one per of the Disney's Nine Old Men, or is that one big one, or maybe like five or something? Yeah, we're still we're still trying to figure out how to structure it, right? Because, and maybe y'all can help us with this, but like, I don't know, because what's my incentive? It's like I could just make the quiz really hard, I know. and then kind of wouldn't be able to answer. Yeah, it. wouldn't get any points. That so wouldn't be any trying fun. Trying to figure that out. <clears throat> no, it would not be any fun. Okay. It'd be fun for me though, because I would know all the answers, and Connor would. Boo! <laughs> just kidding. All right, well, let's get down to it. Hit me. Question number one. So. Steven Spielberg was one of the original creators of DreamWorks, as you know. Uh, what were, like, there were two other animated, main animated films that I can think of that he had um, integral parts of, and they are based off of a director we have already talked about. Uh, what were they? Where he was, tech, he was uh, his role on them was executive producer. Okay, so he was not actual director. No. And you said um, this was around the same time? Uh, it was before Prince of Egypt. So before Prince of Egypt, there were two main features that he worked on with a director that we've talked about. What were they? Hmm. Okay. Now, he had his own animation studio very briefly. Right. Um, there was only three movies in that right. um, studio. So, and by director we've already talked about, you mean in this episode? No, or um, like we've centered okay. uh, one of our episodes around one of his movies. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, an American Tale. Mm-hmm. I know he was involved, yep. right? That's that one, one of them. Okay. Um, uh, Land Before Time. Yep. You got it. All right. All right. Was it those, those two? Are, those are the two. One? Yeah. And then he also did That's work right. on We Are Back, but I, I'm not counting that since it's not Don Bluth. But right. Yeah. Yeah. Amblimation. Uh, Amblimation. Very short, yeah. short-lived studio. Yeah. Yeah. My parents <laughs> never let me watch movie. We Are Back, unfortunately, because. Yeah. yeah, I never saw that one. <laughs> okay. Did you watch Balto? I did. Have we ever talked about Balto? I, I loved Balto okay. as a kid. I th- I, yeah. Not as much now? Mm. I, I haven't seen it in a long time. I just remember watching watch it, it with some friend. I have no idea who it was and her like sitting on the bed and like howling whenever the dogs howled. And it kind of freaked me <laughs> out. Or the wolves, whatever they are. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That might mess with your, with your experience. My viewing experience. That yeah. That was a good one. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, um, we'll have it'll, on our yeah series part two. We'll, we'll tackle right, that. right. So the next question regarding the directors of this film, there is a standout in um, there's a first timer in relation to the direction of this film, which that's a weird Brenda way of Chapman. putting it. Yes, Brenda Chapman. Brenda Chapman. Yeah, and she was. Wait, what was the part two of that question? Uh, so what what was significant about her being on it? Uh, well, yeah, she was. I mean, she hadn't directed. She had directed, right? Mm-hmm. So first, there's there's something a little there's back. something a little more to this as well. 
she okay of why it's important that she's um, on this and she's one of the directors well she's like the first woman director for an animated feature, a major animated right? feature yeah yeah which is crazy yeah. Is. How did it take like it late 90s? 80 yeah. years Gosh. for there to be a female director on an animated feature? Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Wow, that is crazy. Yeah. I mean, because I'm trying to think of like some of the first female directors. I probably don't know who they are. Mm. But um, yeah, late 90s. That's like way too late in the game. <laughs> oh, so ridiculous. <laughs> surprising. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other trivia question before we get to the big challenge we get 100 percent here all right all right <laughs> so there were three artists who the filmmakers drew inspiration from for this film in all aspects of it who were they and not just like painters but they're kind of a little bit all over the place artists i want to say i remember reading something about this so are all three of them in the same kind of group like the, they're not in they're... the same medium two of them are kind of in the, same, in the same medium, medium. Shoot, man. That's a good one. Are they all men? They are. Okay, so one of them's probably like a music person. Mm -mm. No. no. <laughs> huh. Did one of them contribute to the soundtrack? No. There's there's no musicians in this. Oh, at, at all. all. Oh, okay. Oh, what is I'm thinking of it in my head. I know I don't know the name though. Paul Rubens no. or something like that? Um I don't know. I'm calling a lifeline. Okay. Uh, there are two <laughs> fine artists and one filmmaker. One filmmaker. Cecil B. DeMille? Nope. <laughs> um, I'll give you another hint towards it. We are about to talk okay. about some of his movies. Like, full episodes. Okay. Um, let's see. Someone probably did. Or it's probably, like, Gone with the Wind. I'm trying to think of who directed that. Did you to with the no. wind? Oh. Lords of Arabia? Yes. Oh. Frick, who directed that? <laughs> oh. Who was that? That was... He's one of my favorite what filmmakers. What else has he directed? Dr. Zhivago. One of your favorite? Bridge That's on the, the River one. Kwai. Summertime. Oh, man. Oh, man. Adeline. I feel like... Passage to India. <laughs> I feel like I should know this. What are his initials? DL. <laughs> I thought that would help me more than it did. <laughs> DL. Um, While you're thinking, I'm going to run to the restaurant again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> are we keeping this in or are we going to cut this out? <laughs> oh, jeez. Hmm. I could just Google this right now. Get those points. Um, Snake. Are you looking it up? Dude, I was just about to. <laughs> I don't know, man. I can't think. All right. I can't believe it. And I feel like I know who... I feel like I will know who it is, but it's just not coming to my brain. So do you want me to tell you all three or just the the filmmaker? Uh, tell me all three. Okay. I don't think I'm going to get So the filmmaker is David Lean, the great David Lean. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I would have gotten that. The, and then there are two artists. So one is Gustave Dor, who did a bunch of like biblical painting or biblical drawings that are very interesting, have mm. a 
very interesting sense of lighting and dramaticism about them. And then Claude Monet for the color palette of the film. Monet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Wow. Yeah, definitely. It's I did not know that. And I was it, it cracks me up too because like I remember like watching this and being like, "Wow, this reminds me a lot of Lawrence of Arabia." <laughs> and it's like uh, they drew specific um inspiration from Lawrence of Arabia. So, there you go. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Very good. good All right. Know. You ready for your challenge? I I hope yes. you'll get this one. Um what are the 10 plagues? Ooh, okay. Well, one of them is the um, slaying of the firstborn. Mm-hmm. It's number 10. Then there's the locusts. Right, that is Let's number, see. what is that, five, six? Let me, I'm looking it up right now. And I'll kind of okay. give you cool. some some slack on this because in okay. um, different, like, versions, they, like, kind of say it's different kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um... Uh, there's a leprosy, right? Um, Disease? Kind of. It's the boils. <laughs> um, I'll give you that. Boils. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, famine. In a sense. You can't grow crops. Uh, in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> Their cows die. Yes. There you go. The livestock. <laughs> okay. Livestock is gone. Let's see. And I already said the locusts. And the sun. Yes. Blocked out the sun, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's something about the water. Mm-hmm. No, the, it was just the water turned to yep. blood. That was, yeah, that was one of the plagues. Okay. Um, how many have I got left? Five. Uh, yes. No. Four. Yeah, four. And they weren't able to grow any anything, right? I mean, for a certain so reason. There's nothing else. So... Okay. Well, because of no sun. No, before that. Uh, you're missing the third, fourth, and seventh, or second, third, fourth, seventh plagues. Oh, like bugs, like gnats? Yes, Is that's that one of them. Separate? Okay, okay. That's separate from the locusts, I guess. Oh, yeah, just like fire raining down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like hail and Still... fire. Right, okay. Yep, two more. Yeah, two more. Was it something with their dreams? No. Were they... Okay. Frogs. That's one, yep. One left. Okay. Oh, man. I'm proud of myself. Better than I thought I would. I think they're all depicted in the movie, I think. Yeah. Some of them are kind of mixed together. Yeah. There's a lot of bugs. Yeah. It, the of... last one is another bug one. Oh, is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, mosquitoes? Close. Well, I just said gnats. Bigger gnats. Wasps? No. Bees? Nope. <laughs> no stingers. <laughs> no stingers. Just annoying. Um, just flies. Yes. Okay. There you go. All right. Nice. All right. Good on you. I'm a bibl- I'm a Bible scholar. <laughs> For the record, I'm not a Bible scholar. <laughs> well, you did it. Wow. Nice. I did it. That was good. I get a lot of points on that one. Yeah, probably. yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll figure <laughs> out the point system for the other ones later. So, well, I yeah. think that about wraps us up. As long as much as we'd love to so. keep on talking about this. But. Well, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Oh, for joining. Hey, Riley. Another long how, one. How about you mm-hmm. tease our next series since we're at the end of this one? Yeah. Okay. So we're pretty excited about this one. It's kind of a kind of a two for one in a sense because we're going to be tackling the modern epic versus the classic mm-hmm. epic. So essentially what we're going to do with that is we're going to take kind of the classic epic, you know, kind of your 
Lawrence of Arabia, Gone with the Wind, Dr. Zhivago, movies along that vein. We haven't exactly uh, hammered them out yet, but stuff like that. Kind of compare them to um, the modern day epic. We're going to kind of define what we think that is mm-hmm. um, in modern times and kind of see, well, what's changed in the in those past, in those years? And um, is it a good or a bad thing? So that will be part of Who's the discussion. But uh, yeah, so, but we do know for a fact that our first one will be covering the uh, movie Dr. Zhivago. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, which I have never seen. Me neither. And it's a, it's a long one. We would recommend you watch it if you can get the time. Please do. <laughs> it's like three and a half hours. Yeah, it'll but, be uh, worth it. I, I trust David yeah. Lean. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, uh, we're excited about that. We're excited to tackle some, I mean, we love animation. Right. We always will. Right. But it's it's time to tackle some some other movies. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so get excited for that. We're excited about it. Yeah, um, and it's perfect that we ended Prince of Egypt, so we end our animation series yeah. with an epic. There we go. That's right. Transition. Transition. There we go. We're perfect. Unintentional. Oh, right. <laughs> right. We we meant that. Sorry. I, I didn't mean unintentional. We were totally purposeful about <laughs> this being here. It was absolutely a purpose. Right. Yeah. Well, cool. yeah. Thanks again, guys. Yeah. And please, you know, make sure to leave us a review and all that. We love doing this so much. And any way that we can make this better or more entertaining for you guys, please just let us know. Like, we, we'd love to adapt this and make it more enjoyable for you. We also want to say... Uh, Great thank you to John Skinner for the graphic and for Luke Hogan and Caden Reed for the theme song that they have blessed us with. Yes, but mm. until our next Good. epic meeting, Good. I'm Connor Reed. Adieu. Adieu. Adieu, however you want to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. How do you say goodbye in Hebrew? I don't know. I'll look that up for next time. Mm-hmm.